There we go. Awesome. So you get the youth pastor today, so you get props. So uh, anyways, uh, I'm so glad to be here this morning to get up here and to open up the word of God with you all today. And if I could take a wild guess, I would assume that I'm not the only one in this room who gets trapped wasting a lot of time on my phone, especially when it comes to watching random funny clips, whether on social media or on YouTube. And if you're like me, you say to yourself, I'm going to just take a quick break from what I'm doing. And before you know it, you've spent 30 minutes watching random videos of dogs and grown adults completely embarrassing themselves just in hopes of getting some likes on social media. And for me, some of my favorite kinds of these videos are sports fails videos. And these are videos of people making mental errors while playing, whether it's shooting on the wrong goal or uh, running the wrong way to the wrong end zone or getting dunked on or crossed over on the court, uh, things like that. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I brought a few examples with me today. So check it out. High school football player shared a video of him tackling his own teammate oh, so here it no. is well the other player made a great interception but he ran the wrong direction so there he goes you see his own guy chasing him down here he tackles <laughs> him at the 10. <laughs> someone on the sidelines right there is just losing it that would have been a, a safety i agree i've been two points for the other team had he made it all the way to the end zone I, so he didn't obviously realize it until that point hopefully and look right. at is that the he coach? still doesn't know why is that are the you, coach on the side yeah, why being are like, you what tackling is going me? on why did you do that? Oh, no. Snap is high. This ball knuckles. Bounding down. Wait a minute. He's, wait a minute. He's running the You're wrong way. You're going the way. wrong way. Holy moly. How often do you see that? How often do you see that? Linebacker Andre Parker then gets confused. There it hits Joseph. It's a fumble. It's a free ball. Andre Parker has it. And then he's wrong way, Parker, for 58 yards the wrong way. Does, stops, throws, completes it to Kilmer up at the 30-yard line. Kilmer driving for the first down, loses the football. It's picked up by Jim Marshall, who's running the wrong way. Marshall is running the wrong way. And he's running it into the end zone the wrong way. Thinks he scored a touchdown. He scored a safety. His teammates were running along the far side of the field, Russ, trying to That dude at the end was pumped. He thought he had a touchdown, but no, he didn't. But the craziest part, y'all, about these videos, these people running toward the opposite end zone, truly in their heart, believed that they were going the right way. They were so focused running towards what they thought was the right way that they couldn't hear the fans yelling, turn around. They couldn't hear coaches like the one at the beginning jumping up and down trying to get them to turn around. They couldn't hear their own teammates that were even chasing after them trying to tell them you're going the wrong way. And unfortunately, I look at the church today and I feel like I find myself lately being one of those coaches on the sidelines, jumping up and down, going crazy, because I see so many in the church heading in the wrong direction, and I just want to yell, turn around, you're going the wrong way. But the difficult part is that many don't even see that they're going the wrong way. They come to church when it's convenient. They sing the songs if it's the ones that they like. Uh, they give their time, their money, 
and their effort if it doesn't require much sacrifice. And meanwhile, they think that because they've checked all the boxes of what a good Christian looks like, that they can go about their lives and everything is fine. But I want to tell you all today that it is not fine. Because if your Christian life is simply checking off boxes, then what you're thinking is Christianity is no different than most of the major religions around the world. We have too many people walking down this path and something has to change. And we're going to see that and see why and what we can possibly do about it today throughout this message as we continue this series called No Other Gospel. As we continue this series looking in the book of Galatians in chapter 4 in a section that in many of your Bibles says Paul's concern for the Galatians. Paul's concern for the Galatians. Martin Luther says that this passage is, is literally Paul's own tears being breathed. Paul's own tears being breathed. This is an emotional passage that he is writing because he is concerned. He is hurting for these people. And as we'll see, both the Galatians and Paul are having to pay a price. Because the Galatians have been deceived into thinking that they are going in the right direction when in reality they're going the wrong way. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to begin in verse Eight. And if you're taking notes, the first point I want you to write down today is that we need to redirect your path. You need to redirect your path. And so we're going to begin reading in verse 8. Galatians 4 verse 8. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to the things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God and rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Paul begins this section of the letter reminding them of what their lives looked like before they became a Christian, before they were set free by Christ. And there's an old saying that it goes something like, it's easy to focus on how far you have to go instead of seeing how far you've come. We have to recognize our past and where we have come from, our life before Christ, in order to fully appreciate what is ahead of us in this new life that we have in him. And Paul is telling them, you used to be enslaved to all these pagan gods you used to worship. And he's pleading with them, reminding them that they have been set free and wondering why they would run towards the things that can't save them and will attempt to enslave them all over again. To put it in southern terms, he's saying, y'all, you've been transformed, you've been saved, you've been set free, you are sons and daughters of God. Why would you want to turn to the things of this world? Because when this transformation takes place, you're supposed to run towards the only path that saves, and that's towards Jesus. But the Galatians have found themselves turned around and headed down other paths that included even adding religious deeds in order to be saved. And we can read right past this passage and not think twice that maybe, just maybe, we're making the same mistakes that the Galatians made then. 
We get saved, have new life in Christ, yet find ourselves running to the things in, of this world in an attempt to, the things of this world that attempt to enslave us. These are the things that we might not label as gods, but they definitely are receiving our worship. We might think, I don't worship anything else. I don't worship false gods. And I want to ask you, what do you care about in this life more than Jesus? What do you care about in this life more than Jesus? Your job, your success, your pride, your image. Oftentimes, we don't even see this in ourselves, but those around you probably do. Sometimes it's not even bad things that enslave us or things that we would label as bad. It's just our heart's intentions on why we do certain things. One of my favorite pastors, David Platt, he writes, What if Satan's strategy to condemn your soul involved not tempting you to do all the wrong things, but instead leading you to do all the right things with the wrong spirit? And this is where I see the biggest issue in churches across the country today. We come to pray. We come to worship, study the Bible, serve, and give to missions, and all often simply out of obligation instead of adoration. Out of obligation instead of adoration for a God who has saved you. We're going the wrong way, and we need to examine our hearts and examine our motives. Before Sarah Beth and I got married, there's several things I did or didn't do that I had to adjust once I got married. Fellas, you know what I might be talking about. Many of these things I'm still working on, getting better at. Many of these things I have yet to discover. Sometimes I discover new things every day. These things are like putting the toilet seat down. Didn't know that was a thing. Not leaving my shoes wherever I want all over the house. I guess that's not cool. Uh, uh, Actually doing the dishes more than a couple times a month. Apparently you're supposed to do them like daily or every other day or something. Uh, Shrinking out of the jug. Apparently that's gross. I didn't know that things like this but the thing that is the biggest deal to Sarah Beth that I learned early on something that I probably never did in college uh, or the time between college and when we got married was make my bed because in my mind I'm like it doesn't make sense to me why would I make my bed I'm just going to get right back in the next night But I learned quickly that when we got married, that it's a big deal for her. It means a lot to her for me to make the bed, especially since she leaves before I do in the morning. And while if you come to our house, there might be shoes still all over the house in the wrong place, while I still might leave the toilet seat up occasionally. I'm sorry, SB. Uh, But nothing makes me, or nothing makes her happier than coming home to a bed that is completely nice and made, useless pillows all over and all. <laughs> but I often forget, I often forget to do this. But when I actually remember to look at the bed, I was, as I'm walking out the door, I have a decision to make if I'm going to make the bed or not. And I often choose to make the bed when I remember to, not out of obligation, not for me, but out of a place of love for my wife because I know how much it means to her. So when we come to worship, when we pray, when we study the word, we aren't doing it because we feel like we have to, but we do these things or we should be doing these things out of an overflow of love and appreciation for our Savior. When it's out of this place, when out of love or appreciation, we study the word with a heart ready to hear from God. We don't see it as boring, we see it as life-giving. And when we're not in the word, we feel like a part of our life is missing. 
When it's out of this place of love and appreciation, we pray, believing in faith, that God is both speaking to us and listening to us, that he cares about our prayers, that he is able to save and deliver and heal and restore anything that he wants to. When it's done out of this place, we come to worship together, and we could care less if we're singing a 200-year-old hymn or the latest Hillsong single, because we just want to soak up every moment of getting to step into the presence of God and worship him with our brothers and sisters. We need to learn to step in to these intimate moments with the presence of God, not because we're seeking to somehow make ourselves right, but because he has made us right through his amazing grace. It's not just bad things, y'all, that will enslave us. It's good things done with the wrong heart and the wrong motives. But this truth is both hard to hear It's hard to tell others because there's going to be pushback. There's going to be denial of, nah, he's not talking to me. And that is what Paul is facing as we continue in chapter 4. So we're going to continue. If you're, again, taking notes, the second point is that we need to recognize the price. Recognize the price of telling the truth. And so Galatians 4, beginning in verse 12 through 17, he writes, I beg you, brothers and sisters, Because as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me through my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Verse 16 is so important here. So then have I become your enemy because I told you the truth. Verse 16, so then have I become your enemy because I have told you the truth. They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. The Galatians had long accepted Paul and embraced Paul and wanted to hear from him. But we see that they're beginning to turn their backs on him simply because he was telling them the truth and pointing out the wrong paths that they were heading down. He was trying to get them to see that these Judaizers, that they were actually acting like that they cared about them when in reality they didn't and they were leading them down the wrong path. And in doing this, in speaking truth, Paul is putting his reputation on the line simply to tell them the truth because he'd rather be ostracized then see these people he loves pursue anything above their relationship with Christ. Speaking the truth to people you love is hard, but it's worth it. A lot of times, most nights, us being, I kind of wind down by watching a show of some kind. And, and recently, for some reason, for the first time in a while, we started watching American Idol. Uh, my favorite part of the show isn't when it gets to the live rounds and all the really good singers. Uh, my favorite part are the tryouts with the really bad singers. Because maybe it's because I relate to them much more than the good singers. The whole joyful noise verse in scripture, I think that's about me because it doesn't sound joyful. So I relate to these bad singers. And there's two types of bad singers on this show. There's ones that know that they're bad. But they just want to be on TV. They, if they see an opportunity to make a fool of themselves and get on national TV, and that is awesome. But there's others that think they are crazy talented and go in there and the judges have to break the news that you are not that good. That music is not your future career. 
And this is usually not taken well at all. They flip out. They have no idea. They're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You all might be like award-winning artists and producers, but you don't know what you're talking about because I've been told my I've been told my whole life how great of a singer I am. I've been told my whole life, my mom, my grandparents, everybody's told me how great of a singer I am. You have no idea what you're talking about. And that's where the problem lies. No one was willing to tell them the hard truth that they can't sing. And as a result, they have been deceived into thinking they're a good singer and just embarrassed themselves on national TV. Speaking hard truths comes with a price. But so does not telling the truth and withholding it. One of the biggest examples in the American church is the American church falsely being told for decades that it's doing well and healthy simply because there are people in the seats. And as a result, we have churches on every corner around this city, yet the percentages of people in America who profess to be Christian continues to keep dropping. We have to be willing to accept the hard truth that maybe we as the church need to change and take our spiritual lives more seriously instead of just simply coming to our comfy seats every week, going through the motions, and leaving pretending that there aren't billions around the world that are on a pathway directly to hell. We often don't want to hear these truths because we just want to feel good. We just want to come and feel warm and and cozy when we come in this place. But if you're simply looking for a Christian TED Talk that's going to make you feel warm inside, there are billions of these sermons on YouTube. But if you step foot in a church that believes in the word of God and preaches the word of God, then sometimes it means hearing hard truths that you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. Sometimes it means hearing these truths and being convicted. Living like Paul did wasn't easy. He was shunned by the Jews, then the Jewish Christians, but he knew it was worth it as long as he was remaining faithful to the truth. Because when you live a radical life for Jesus and you speak truth, it's going to come at a cost. When you tell people what they need to, what they need to hear instead of what they want to hear, it's going to come at a cost, which means if your faith isn't costing you anything, you need to examine your faith. But too often we neglect this self-examination of speaking hard truths even to ourselves because we don't want to expose the areas in our lives that need to radically change. Because sometimes in this life, you're going to be the coaches in the video that we saw yelling at someone saying you're going the wrong way. And sometimes in this life, you're going to be the guy being tackled by his own teammate. And as embarrassing or as hard as it may be, our reaction can't be, why did you tackle me? Why did you do this? It needs to be, thank you for saving me from going in the wrong direction. Because the enemy isn't going anywhere with temptation and false teachers and tempters saying, come this way. The way of the world is better. You'll find so much joy this way. You'll find so much happiness that you've been wanting so long this way. It's not going anywhere, which is why being people of the book becomes even more important and letting the word of God guide our lives instead of just following what is popular that day. We have to be able to accept and understand that throughout this life, we will find ourselves in either and both of those roles of being the person having to tackle his or own teammate or the person being tackled themselves. 
Because the results of not speaking truth and the results of not being told and accepting the truth can be damaging to yourself and those around you. Don't let a brother brother or sister in Christ become your enemy as the Galatians were trying to make Paul simply because they're speaking hard truth into your life. Because if they're willing to speak this hard truth, they knew that it was going to probably come at a cost. And as we see with Paul in these final verses, they are probably hurting for you. For them to come to that point where they are going to come to you and address these things to you. So we're going to finish with the last two verses. Point three, respond to your purpose. Point three, respond to your purpose. Verses 18 through 20. But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner. And not just when I am with you. My children, I am suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change the tone of my voice because I don't know what to do about you. I want us to notice as we look in this passage, these final couple of verses, the urgency and the language that Paul uses here in the final two verses. He equates his pain for them not, to pers- of them not pursuing Jesus to labor pains. And I've obviously never had labor pains, that's obvious. But from what I've heard, from what I've gathered, what from people have told me, it's not fun. It's not a pleasant type of pain. And for those of you that have been through that or seen someone going through that, this might actually hit harder for you. You'll understand this better because you've seen it or you've felt it and experienced it. But he's using this analogy to demonstrate just how much he wants them to be shaped into the image of Christ and how much it pains him when he sees them not pursuing this or when when they're not pursuing growing in their relationship with Christ, and he sees them being deceived and heading down the wrong path that is hindering their growth in the Lord. Most of the weeks, most weeks in here at the end of the message, we have a time of response where we typically have leaders up front, we sing a song, and I usually stand right about here. I was planning on actually walking down, but I'm afraid I'm going to trip down the stairs, so I decided not to. But if I'm transparent with y'all, that time is one of the hardest parts of the week for me. It's one of the hardest parts of the week for me because most of the time during that time, my eyes are either closed or I'm looking up. And for three reasons. One, I'm praying during the invitation for God to move and to stir in hearts and change hearts because I know that a message can't save somebody. I know that worship can't save somebody, that only the Holy Spirit can. And so I'm spending that time in prayer. The second reason would be because I'm worshiping because I get caught in that moment of worship and I'm wanting to praise Jesus. And again, being transparent, the third reason I'm either having my eyes closed or looking up is because I can't handle to look out into the crowd any longer because it hurts. It hurts because I see a room that often, not all, but largely could care less about the challenge that was just given to them by their pastor. I see faces down at their phones. I see faces disinterested. I see people packing up their stuff. I see people ready to check their, it's Sunday, I came to church box and head off to lunch. It pains me when we don't have a room full of people spending that time praying and worshiping and crying out to God, pleading with him for revival in their lives and the lives of those around them. It pains me to see this altar empty most weeks. It pains me that the thought even enters my head often of do they actually care? Our purpose in this life, why we exist, is to be transformed by Christ and see others transformed by Christ. Another way to put it, be disciples, make disciples. 
We should feel it when we aren't pursuing Jesus, and it should pain us. It should hurt us when we see those around us not pursuing Jesus as well. We are to be a model of those passionate about Christ in the way that we preach, teach, live, and worship. And we don't all have to express it the same way, but we all have to care. We all have to care. As we read in Scripture and we sing about in one of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount, we're all prone to wonder. We're all prone to wonder. We're all prone to go the wrong way. But we can't miss the next line in that song that says, Lord, I feel it. Lord, I feel it. And I want to ask you right now, do you feel it in your life when you're going the wrong way? Do you feel it in your life when you're going the wrong way, away from Jesus? Because oftentimes we don't even recognize it. Or oftentimes we ignore it until we're so far away from him that it just seems normal to us. Because it often happens in small steps. For example, if you're more concerned about climbing the ladder in your career than discipling your family, you're going the wrong way. If you're more concerned with your children's academic accomplishments and accomplishments in sports, instead of seeing them become disciples of Christ, you're going the wrong way. If you are more concerned with filling this room than filling heaven, you're going the wrong way. If you're more concerned with the type of songs that are being sung instead of spending that time worshiping King Jesus, you're going the wrong way. If you're more concerned with pursuing social justice than pursuing Jesus, you're going the wrong way. If you're more concerned with making America great than making the name of Jesus great, you're going the wrong way. If you claim not to have enough time in your busy schedule to read the Bible, you're going the wrong way. If you claim not to have enough time to get on your knees before the Lord and pray with him and plead for him, for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for this church, then you're going the wrong way. And before you know it, these tiny steps have now created this distance and you are far away from the person and the purpose of why you are on this earth to begin with. And that is to worship King Jesus, to praise King Jesus, to point others to King Jesus. Because Jesus either becomes over all the things in our lives or he simply just becomes a part of it. What is he to you? If we ever want to see revival, it begins with us accepting this hard truth that maybe we don't have it all together, both personally and as a church. And to get on our knees before God and plead with him to give us a passion for both him and for all the lost around us that need him. Another one of my favorite pastors, Matt Chandler, says, one of the best things I can do as your pastor is to continually remind you how not awesome you are. That sounds harsh, but in reality, we have to understand and accept this or else we'll spend our time bragging about how great we are, how great our church is, instead of how great our Jesus is. It's harsh, but we have to understand that we are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior, but thankfully... Jesus came to this earth. He died on a cross for the penalty of our sins. He rose three days later to give us hope and a future eternal life with him. So out of this place of love and appreciation and gratitude for what he did should flow our passion to follow Jesus and help others follow him as well. I want to ask everyone in the room to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I'm gonna offer two different types of invitation this morning. 
both to the believers in this room and non-believers. First, the believers in this room, I want you to simply ask yourself, which direction are you going? Because we're never gonna see change until we take our faith seriously. Are you gonna start today? Are you going to start today? I know as soon as Stephen starts singing, I wanna spend time at this altar praying for God to forgive me when I make this life about myself instead of Jesus. And I will be spending this time praying for revival in both me and this congregation and this city. If you need to admit that you're not perfect either, if you're joining me down there, if you wanna see revival, you can join me if you want to. But I need you during this time to actually care. Whether at your seats or up here, actually care. For the non-believers in the room, as you can see, we in this room as believers, we don't have it all together. We're not perfect. But the amazing thing is that we serve a perfect Savior. You were created to worship and serve Jesus. But if you are not following him, you are right now, you are running the wrong way. And you are heading down a path that leads to an eternal life separated from God in hell. And today you can make that decision to give your life to Jesus and to have hope and to have new life. And there's no magical prayer that I can say that can save you. That's a conversation between you and Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. But you can say to him, Jesus, I know that I sin. I know that I mess up, but I'm ready today to give my life to you. Because I believe that you died on a cross for me, that you rose from the dead. And I'm asking you to forgive me of all of my sins. And I'm committing my life to serving you. And if that is you, if you need uh, to talk to somebody about that decision, if you have questions about what that means, there's going to be leaders up front here in a second as we sing and as we respond to what we just heard. Finally, I'll ask one more time, which direction are you going? And if it's not toward Jesus, I pray that you turn around and head straight to him. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can open your word. I thank you that it contains hard truths that we might not always want to hear, but that we need to hear. I pray, God, that this church becomes one that is passionate about you, that wants nothing more than to see revival within themselves and around them. So Holy Spirit, move in the hearts of people in this room. Convict us of where we've made this life about us. Move in ways that only you can. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.